Hello, friends. I am super stoked to be hanging out together as the church today. I never get tired of when the church gathers where we pray, we worship, and we study God's Word. I want to greet everybody across our network, family here at Rock Island, the folks at Bendorf, the Manikiwani, those tuning in online. I am super grateful for all of you. And if you just happen to be a guest checking things out today, maybe even checking things out for the first time, man, I'm especially glad you're here. This is uh, week three of a four-week conversation that we're calling Even If. Uh, ability to move from what-if questions to an even-if faith. And if you've not been here for the first couple conversations, it's totally okay for two reasons. One, you can find those other conversations online. And second, although they are connected and best understood together, they are valuable alone. And it is my prayer that God will speak directly to you in the deepest parts of your heart and your mind and your soul today as we dig back in to his word and to this subject. So let's just get to it. We all know that, that waiting is part of life. And quite honestly, we all kind of want to wait well, although we hate waiting. We, we want to wait well, which is why we're talking in this manner about what if and even if. We, we want to be able to move from what if questions to even if statements in those waiting spaces. And we've been using the life of a man named Abraham and his family to help us under, understand how to do that, really anchoring the conversation in his journey and his family's journey. And you may or may not know a whole lot about Abraham, but he was actually somebody God identified that he called out to be the patriarch of his people. And God actually makes a covenant with Abraham. He, he ends up making three promises to Abraham. The promise of relationship with God, the promise of many descendants, and the promise of land. Now, it's a pretty great privilege to be called into that kind of space and that kind of relationship with God. But the thing about Abraham was, just like us, he wasn't perfect. He's just a man. And so there were some good things in Abraham's life and some not-so-good things in Abraham's life. And the not-so-good things were most often simply connected to what-if questions that did not move to even-if statements. Yet, yet Abraham, what set him apart was that he, he desired to believe God. He, he did believe God. And he was willing to move to an even-if posture, even, even though he and his family struggled in some what-if moments along the way. Now, in the first couple weeks of the conversation, we've looked at some of those struggle points, and even last week, Pastor Josh did a great job helping us understand covenant, what covenant means, what, what it meant for God to call Abraham into a covenant relationship, the beauty of that, the, in, the invitation to access the limitless power and strength of God. It was a beautiful thing. Yet even in the beauty of all that, within a matter of years, Abraham and his family start to bump into what-if questions, and those what-if questions lead them to doubt that covenant, and specifically the promise of a child. And they make some mistakes when they sit in the what-if questions rather than moving to even-if statements. In fact, I just want to frame a bit of the timeline for what his life was and how things laid out, especially if you're not all that familiar with it. It just simply, when we meet him, he's actually meet him in Genesis 11, but in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham out to the land he's going to give him, and he's 75 years old at that moment. But he heads off to that land. He ends up in chapter 15 of Genesis. God establishes a covenant. We're going to look at that in a few moments where he tells Abraham, look, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. You can't even count them. 
But in that moment, Abraham is actually 85 now. He's been 10 years in that land, the land of Canaan. When we get to Genesis 16, Abraham's wife Sarah comes up with the idea that because they don't have kids, that Abraham should sleep with her servant Hagar so they can get the kid-making thing going. And Abraham is 86 at this point. They end up having a child named Ishmael, but that is not the child God wanted to bring about his purpose through. It was through their, their, their own mistake, their own what-if questions that led to that moment. But when we get to Genesis 17, there is this moment of promise and a laugh. There's a promise by God, and there's a laugh from Abraham. And Abraham is now 99. Ishmael is 13. But when we get to the very next chapter, which is where we're going to land today in Genesis 18, there's another promise and another laugh. This time it's from Abraham's wife, Sarah. It has a very different tone. Abraham is still 99, and it won't be until Genesis 21 that the promise, the covenant, is fulfilled, and Abraham will be 100. (laughs) That's when you start having babies, when you're 100. That's the timeline we're leaning into to begin to understand the journey. It was was a 25-year thing. It's it's representing a 25-year journey of God working and moving. And where we're going to focus in on today is going to be Genesis 18, but we got to start three chapters before in Genesis 15, which is where we were last week. You can jump there if you like, but I'm going to use my Bible here. You can follow along on the screen. Let's just get to it. This is Genesis 15, starting with verse 2. But Abram, which is his original name, God will later give Abram a new name, Abraham. Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him. Look, look, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can, because there are far too many to count. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So at the age of 85, there is this promise that's anchored in the covenant. It's it's beautiful, it's significant, but there's a foundational reality that was relevant for Abraham in that moment. It's irrelevant for us today in whatever you face in your journey with him. And it's simply the reality that God always keeps his promises. This is your first feeling, if you want to use your note guide today, that God always keeps his promises. Maybe some of you already figured it out and wrote that in before I ever said it. I get it. It may be simple. You may be thinking, no, da. But listen, God always keeps his promises. In fact, I just want you to repeat after me. Ready for this? Here we go. God always. No, no, repeat after me. Here we go. Repeat after me. God always keeps his promises. There you go. God always keeps his promises. He always does what he says he will do. He did it for Abraham. He wants to do it for us. God always keeps his promises. And what he always does what he says he will. And we find and know what he says he will do in his word in the Bible. We also know what he says by relationship with him. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us directly. And just like he's doing here with Abraham, he's speaking directly. And God always keeps his promises. But you have to understand something about promises. When it comes to promises that we make as humans, there's a difference between the, that and the promises of God. Because when we make a promise as humans, that's an intentional commitment on our part to a level of faithfulness. It's a declaration of reliability. When we make a promise, when, when we promise, we're giving the guarantee that we can be trusted. It's a commitment, often a step above other interactions, other dynamics, and other moments. It's an effort to to show and be trustworthy. In some way, when we say, I promise, we're really trying to increase our believability. 
So when we say, I promise, we're trying to increase our believability. We get that, we know it, we've all made promises along the way. But listen, when it comes to God and his promises, that is not at all what he's doing. It is not at all the same thing. The promises of God are not a step up in believability. It is a, it is a step of assurance. It is a step into a factual declaration. He is always faithful, even when we are unfaithful. He is trustworthy. He never fails. His promises are declarations, not moments of greater believability. And even here with Abraham, he is declaring, so shall your offspring be. God always keeps his what? His promises. Which is really, really helpful when we get into waiting spaces. We get into spaces between what is and what isn't. And we've been talking about this kind of concept in and out for a couple of months now, just touching on the reality that we all sit between what is and isn't in certain periods. What, the now and the next, the, the now and the not yet. That is a waiting space. But we can actually wait well in that space by faith. We can have hope. We can lay hold of peace and joy in that space as we wait in trust. It is a reality. And it doesn't matter. Whatever God does or doesn't do, he can be trusted. Whatever is certain or uncertain, we can depend on him. But this waiting space is where many people get their head turned. It happened to Abraham and to his wife, Sarah, and it can happen to us. And what I want to do today is talk a bit about how we gain some stability by understanding how to wait well in the spaces that God puts us between a now and a not yet. How we can actually move from the what if questions to an even if faith. I wanna invite you to think about it a little bit this way. The, the reality is that all of us know some things. There are just things that we know. We have an understanding of it. But then there are things that we don't know. Things that we know, things that we don't know. There are also things that we can see, things that we can observe, but then there are things that we can't see, things that are beyond us. And what ends up happening is it forms a bit of a grid where you and I live. There are times that we know and can see, and these are the spaces that we think we have some level of control because we know and we can see. Then there are the spaces where we can't see and we don't know, and that's the space of Blissful ignorance sometimes. <laughs> we just don't know, we can't see. But when we get into the places that we know and can't see, or we see but don't know what to do, these, this becomes a space of worry, and this becomes a space of fear. These are the spaces we can ask what if questions all the way around. But all of it is actually a space for faith especially into worry, especially into fear. When we know how to move from what if to even if. And we see this in Abraham's life, and we even begin to experience this in our own lives. I already said that, that Abraham had some good moments and some not so good moments. The not so good moments were always connected to what if moments that didn't move to even if. And they rippled through his whole family tree. If we look at his family tree, we see lots of different things. You dig down in there, there's lots of mistakes, but there's also great moments of faith. And today what I want to do is hone down in onto this, this person, Isaac, because in all of the journey of Abraham, there is really no more clear example of the dynamic of what if and even if playing out than the journey to Isaac, specifically into the realization of him into the family. And so if you've got a Bible, you can actually turn to Genesis 18, which is where we're going to land, 
Because when we find in Genesis 15 that, that promise, that covenant, where it's about a 14-year journey that takes place before we get into the next phase of all of this. And, and there's a really cool moment that takes place and marks the entire journey and begins to help us understand what if and even if just a bit more. So let's take a look at this. We're going we're to be actually jumping into Genesis 18, but let me frame it for a second. You see, Abraham's chilling under a tree, hanging out in the shade when he actually looks up and he sees some guests. The scripture tells us that the Lord's going to appear to Abraham on this day. But when Abraham looks up, he three, sees three guests. He gets up right away. He runs to them. He bows low to them out of respect, and he invites them to come. Now, I don't know necessarily if he knew who they were, if he had, or if it was just some level of hospitality, but there is at least a level of respect that he's demonstrating. He invites them to come for water, for, for, for food, and for some rest. And they accept. So he gets them situated, and then he runs to his wife, Sarah, and says, Sarah, make a bunch of bread. And then he runs to his, to his herd, and he, he picks a choice calf, and he gives that calf to his servant to prepare some meat. And then he grabs some curd and some milk, and he makes this feast, and he puts it before these three visitors, these three guests. And then he stands off to the side. And in that moment, they ask, where is your wife, Sarah? Now, again, I don't know if he knew who they were in the beginning. I kind of think maybe he had some sense of who they were. But even if not, based on his choices for hospitality, they were significant. There was something unique about them based on what he chose to bring before them. But the moment they ask about his wife by name, had to give him some greater sense that these were special guests. And he ends up saying, well, she's over there in the tent. And this is where we're picking it up in Genesis 18, starting with verse 10. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, this is not a new promise. This is an affirmation of the original promise. It's a bit of an insight into the fulfillment of that promise, a sneak peek, kind of a coming attractions. It's almost an update on the delivery of the package. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I can look up online and see where my package is, and it's getting closer to the Quad Cities, and I know it's going to show up on my porch that night. I get excited. In a way, that's what's happening here. It's like a bit more. Hey, next year you're going to have this thing. The promise is going to be fulfilled. There had to be some level of excitement, but look what happens in this space. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. So she's eavesdropping. I don't know if she's listening to be helpful, to be ready, or if she's listening to be nosy, if it's healthy or not healthy. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It says that she was actually listening. And based on what she heard, and based on what she knew and could see, she determined that what that person said was not humanly possible. Because in verse 11, it says Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Abraham's 99 at this point. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. So everything that takes place next is internal in her head and heart, not outside, not audible, not detectable by human ears. After I am worn out and my Lord, my husband, is old, Will I now have this pleasure? Now let's just kind of hold right there for a moment. Because there's really no mention of Abraham's reaction in this moment. But if we jump back one chapter to Genesis 17, verse 17, after God communicates the promise, Abraham laughs. And not to himself, he laughs out loud without reservation and seemingly without cynicism. But Sarah's laugh was different. Yet I don't think her laugh or his laugh was necessarily just at the promise, I think it had to do more with the conditions around the promise, what they could see and not see, what they knew and didn't know. Because they believed the promise before. 
They desired the promise previously, so much so that they sought to find a way to fulfill it themselves by having Abraham sleep with Sarah's servant, Hagar. But in this space, they're now older. Well, let's just go back to the timeline for a minute. I said that when Abraham was called out to move to another space, that he was 75. Sarah is 10 years younger than Abraham. So all of these numbers start to play out. They moved when he was 75 and she was 65. When the promise comes of children as numerous as the stars, he's 85, she's 75. When she comes up with the plan that he should sleep with Hagar to start the baby-making thing, he's 86, she's 76. When the promise comes and Abraham laughs, he's, he's 99, she's 89. In the scripture we're looking at today, right now, she, he's at 99, she's still 89. And when the promise is ultimately fulfilled, he's 100 and she's 90. It is a 25-year journey of sacrifice, of faith, of ups and downs, of what-ifs and even-ifs. And there's a 15-year journey to the covenant fulfillment, at least one part of that covenant. How long have you had to wait? How long have you had to wait for God to bring good out of the brokenness in your life? How long have you had to wait for God to bring beauty from the ashes? How long are you willing to wait? How long are you willing to wait in the complexity of what is and isn't? Sarah's response was not just simple doubt. It was worse than that. She was giving up in the waiting. She was shifting trust. She was shifting dependence. Yielding to a lack of faith. She was, she was 76 years old when she came up with the idea that they should fulfill the promises God had promised in their own way. Less than a year from when the promise was given. It is now nearly 14 years later. She's still barren. Probably still dealing with a bit of shame and guilt for a failed attempt, uh, relying in her own strength in a previous dynamic. But remember, faith is being sure of what we hope for, sure of what we do not see. Sarah wavered in the journey and began to doubt because she let go of faith in who made the promise in the first place. Sarah began to focus on what she could know and see. She focused on what on what she understood. She focused on, on her circumstances. She focused on her body. She focused on her ability. She focused on her understanding of time and as a result, lost sight of the one who gave the promise in the first place. And that ripple was significant. Now, I don't think it was so much arrogance as it was just skepticism. Just based on what she could know and see, she believed that that particular joy, the pleasure of becoming a mother, had passed. She's still barren and still a bit self-reliant. How long have you had to wait for God to bring good out of brokenness? Beauty from ashes. How long are you willing to wait and sit in the complexity of what is and isn't in your own life? You know, I've never really shared with you the challenges that, that Beth and I faced in our early years of marriage as we sought to become parents. Um, children are a blessing, but not always God's plan for people 
And in our early years of marriage, we actually weren't sure. See, when Beth and I got married, we knew that she had some, some health conditions that may make it difficult for us to have kids. And after a few years, we began to address some of those more pressing concerns, those more primary issues to see if we might be able to move past that. And I'd like to share with you that story, and I may refer a bit more to notes because I think there are important nuances along the way I don't want to lose, and quite honestly, some of this is emotional for me, and I don't want you to lose the significance of the story. It was in January of 1996 that Beth was scheduled for a laparoscopic surgery. It was at that time that we found out we were pregnant. We were excited. We were ecstatic. We were surprised. We also knew there would be a bit of difficulty in the conversation because we were both in the Army at the time. But we were excited, and we were actually excited to see our baby in our first ultrasound that we both went to. When we went to that ultrasound, on our way, as far as we knew, our baby was healthy. Beth had been sick. She had lost some weight along the way, significant amount of weight along the way. But as we stepped into that ultrasound space, it was clear that there were concerns. Though the information from the tech was very vague. And we ended up leaving that appointment and were told that we would have to follow up with the doctor very soon. So we waited with no information. And the what-if questions began. They began to just churn in our head. It felt like forever. And finally, we got a call asking us to come in two days later to see the doctor. When we arrived, the doctor told us that they believed there was something wrong with the formation of our baby's brain. And we were scheduled to be seen by a specialist and put in a high-risk pregnancy category. About two weeks later, we had a follow-on ultrasound with a specialist who showed us that our baby had hydrocephalus, water on the brain, as well as some sort of tumor or malformation of the brain. That was hard. We were stunned by that information, and the what-if questions went through the roof. Spent nights wrestling before God, crying out in desperation to God, confused, frustrated, that this child that we didn't know if we could even have finally is conceived but would have severe health issues and maybe not even be able to take a breath. Deep why and what if questions churned in our heart and in our soul. They rushed into that uncertainty of the waiting space. It was a very heavy time for us. But there was nothing we could do in that space medically except wait and see. That was just a wait and see. But we knew we could pray and we did. We prayed like mad. We cried out to God, we invite, our family cried out to God, our small group relationships, we got in spaces of prayer. And as we leaned into that space, we felt the peace of God that even if he was going to ask us to walk a path of sorrow, it would be okay. The next appointment, nothing had really changed and we started to read the prognosis for the baby and considered what limited medical intervention could do. But about... Six weeks had passed when we went for another ultrasound. And at this point, we knew the baby was a boy. But when the doctor came in to look at the ultrasound, there was no evidence of any malformation or water on the brain. The baby's skull had no gaping hole and no excess fluid, and it was perfectly shaped. But he did say that we would really not know if everything was okay until delivery, which put us in another waiting space, an invitation to surrender, an invitation to wait well, an invitation to yield and trust in God, to go from what if to even if, and that's what we did. And then on August 27th, 1996, Beth gave birth to a healthy six-pound boy who we named Joshua. (laughs) Yeah, you can clap to that. 
that baby boy is now 22 years old, about to graduate from college and head into law school. <laughs> Look, the, I share that because I want you to understand that even if posture is not how it turns out, it's not about how it turns out. It's about who we turn to and who we trust in, in this space, no matter what. See, without faith, without faith, what if questions can become whatever statements? Without faith, the what if questions that are inevitable, inevitable can become whatever questions. The, the, the what if questions can, can lead us to the space where we just say flippantly, whatever. And that is not the same as even if. Whatever is flippant, whatever is giving up, whatever is throwing in the towel, even if is laying hold of truth, laying hold of promise, laying hold of the goodness of a God who is more than able, who, who's, who's willing to move into a space. But when we, when we sit in what if questions, they can lead us to whatever statements that have a negative ripple into the dynamics we're sitting in and allow us to even to entertain a laugh, outwardly or inwardly. Without faith, what if questions become whatever statements, but, but faith, God-honoring, God-rewarding, God-mobilizing faith is something that we choose in moments. It's what we choose. It's not just once and done. It's in each of the spaces of waiting that we choose, where we surrender, we place our dependence, we put our trust in him, and we say, even if, in the is and isn't space, between the now and the not yet, even if, no matter what happens, because even if is, is not the same as whatever, even if is the equivalent of saying no matter what. No matter what, I choose to trust, I choose to believe. And how we manage that space between now and not yet is important. Because when we choose to sit in worry, when we choose to sit in a space of worry, we're saying to God, you know what, you can't be trusted and you're going to leave me high and dry. When we choose to sit in fear, we say, God, you're not able, you can't protect me, you can't strengthen me, you can't provide for me in this problem or this situation. I'm on my own. What if questions can lead to whatever statements, but those very same what if questions, those same what if questions can lead us to a place that we say even if. But it's a choice. It's a choice we each get to make. And again, even if is not the same as whatever, even if is the equivalent of saying no matter what. And our ability to wait or to stand on the promises of God are rooted in who he is. Not what he has promised. Just who he is. That's how we lay hold of even if. Because he lives outside of circumstances. He lives even outside of time. Even outside of what others have previously chosen poorly to do. Even Sarah and Abraham had to deal with that. And when we respond to God's invitation and God's promises with what if, it leads to whatever unless we choose an even-if posture. And if we choose what-if, there's a negative ripple. But when we choose even-if, there's breakthrough, no matter what happens. Let's go back to what happened in Sarah's journey because it gets really real because the writer describes that one of these guests is actually the Lord himself. Let's take a look at this, verse 13 in Genesis 18. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That question is not the first time we've heard this as a church family. We looked at this in Jeremiah 32. The answer is no, nothing's too hard for him. And I don't know if there's this pause in that moment, if it's a rhetorical question, if they're pausing because now they realize who's, who's sitting there. But he goes on to say, I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. 
Verse 15, Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. So answering for Abram, Abraham, a question she was not asked, she inserts herself into the conversation. I don't know if she was already spinning in what if questions, like, well, what if my laugh, what if my statement will cause us to not have the promise? What if it'll diminish something? What if we will end up with less? And so she, I don't, I don't know what she was thinking, but I do know it caused her to step in and join in a conversation. She inserts herself, and then the Lord says, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Listen, fear is the most common motive for lying. Fear of loss, fear of punishment, fear of shame, fear of rejection. Fear is the thing that we often justify the choice to say that lying is acceptable. And that was the space that, that Sarah, that kind of fear, Sarah steps forward out of. And it's interesting, me, interesting to me that the Lord simply says, yes, you did. This had to certainly be a powerful teaching moment, teachable moment for Sarah. One that she would not soon forget. And actually Abraham goes on to make sure that he and Sarah would never forget this because the, the child she would have, they would name Isaac and that name means laughter constant reminder of God's faithfulness. Listen, my friends, what, whatever you face, actually no matter what you face today or in this season, our God will fulfill what he has promised in his timing and his way. Whatever you're facing, God will fulfill what he has promised in his timing and his way. If he's involved, he always makes a way. It's not always in our timing. It's not always the way we want but he always fulfills his, time, his promise in his timing and his way. God does not give us everything we want when we want. But everything he does, he, as he keeps his promises, they're all lined up to lead us into relationship with him, to lead us into connection with him. And listen, I know many of you have been praying for something or someone for many years. How long are you willing to wait for God to fulfill his promise? How long are you willing to wait in the space between what is and isn't? I want to encourage you to not quit praying. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel after whatever you think has been long enough. God moves in his timing and his way. I once read about an evangelist named George Mueller who, who through the course of his life prayed for five friends to be reconciled to God through Jesus. They prayed faithfully for them. The first friend came to Jesus after five years of prayer. Next two friends came to know Jesus after 10 years of George Mueller praying for them. After 25 years, that fourth friend came to know Christ. And as George continued to pray, he prayed for his fifth friend for 52 years until George died. The interesting thing was, it was only a few months later that that fifth friend stepped into relationship with God through Jesus. My friends, don't quit praying. God moves in his timing and his way. Many people pray a long time and deal lots of hardship and difficulty only to begin to doubt and waver as they near the end. Don't quit. God hears. He's not bound by time. He doesn't even look at time the way that we look at time. And there may be times and seasons you feel like giving up. Don't. Don't give up. God hears your prayers and he responds. He is faithful to fulfill his promises. Here's how he did that with Sarah. This is Genesis 21 in verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, 100 years old, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. God fulfills his promises in his timing and his way. So what do we do with this? 
What do we do? Listen, waiting is a part of life, and none of us like it. We hate it. We don't like waiting. But how long are you willing to wait for God to fulfill his promises? It seems like when we look at Scripture that God was silent in talking with Abraham about the promise for like 13-some years. Gave the promise and doesn't talk to him till later. There's no evidence in Scripture he was talking to him along the way. Maybe he did. We don't know. But it was a 25-year journey of saying, move, and I am going to do. How long are you willing to wait? That journey for Abraham had ups and downs. It had what if and even if moments. But listen, faith always entails an element of trusting and waiting. Always. It's a space of trusting in what is not yet ours. What is not yet true. It is a space of tension in the not yet until it now is. No matter what it is. Even if. So the question I have for all of us is simply this. Where is God inviting you by faith, to wait by faith for what can be? Where is God inviting you to wait by faith for what can be? That's a space of believing what is not yet as if it already is. And you know, let me tell you something. You are the only, the, the only one who can thwart what God's purpose is for your life is you. The only one who can thwart, preempt, derail God's purpose in your life is you. It's not others. It's not circumstances. There is nothing too hard for God. But there are spaces where independence is too great for him to work. He is more than able. Nothing is impossible. The only one who can thwart his purpose in your life is you. How long are you willing to wait for him to fulfill his promises? When we don't, we don't obey, when we don't trust, when we, we don't follow, when we're not willing to move from what if to even if, that becomes a space where we preempt the work of, of God's ability to work in the space of our lives. No one can thwart what he wants for you except you. And if you've not waited well, if you, like Sarah, have laughed, you have doubted, you have tried to do something on your own without him. You have chosen poorly. I want you to know God still loves you. And he still desires your good and your best. You can come back. You can see him bring about his best even in your worst. If you choose to live by faith. Second Corinthians tells us that no, no, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Whatever you have faced, whatever journey you have walked, the promises of God are fulfilled in all of its fullness in Jesus. In Jesus, the impossible is made possible. If you would choose a posture of faith, that the broken can be restored, the lost can be found, the, the hopeless can be hopeful. Where is God inviting you to walk by faith for what can be? If you struggle to step into that, if you struggle to believe in him, I want you to know that he believes in you. So much so, he has already paid a great price for you to be able to experience wholeness and to be reconciled to him. So wherever he's asking you to wait, wait. Don't laugh, pray. If you're struggling in the waiting space, work it out in conversation with him. You are the only one who can thwart God working in your life. So choose praise over worry. 
Choose celebration over scoffing. Choose delight over desire for something. Choose even if rather than what if and allow him to move. In fact, I want to invite you to make this really personal. On the bottom of the second page of your note guide, you're going to see two words, now and next, and two lines. I want to encourage you right now, today, tomorrow, this week, to spend time in prayer figuring out where God is wanting you to wait now, where God is wanting you to step by faith now, where God is wanting you to persist now, but then also where he's asking you to wait next, step by faith next, and persist next. If you don't know, take the time to figure it out. You don't have to use that paper. You can put it in your phone. I don't really care, but take the time to figure it out. If you don't know, ask yourself the question, where are you, where are you tempted to skeptically laugh? Where are you tempted to doubt? Where are you tempted to no longer cling to a promise? A promise for you or a promise for a loved one, your spouse, your kids? Where are you tempted to let go of that? And if you're struggling to move from what if to even if, ask yourself if you're focusing on your perspective or his promise. Is, is it about your ability or his ability? Is it about your timing or his timing? Listen, we don't have the strength to wait in the waiting space well on our own. But with him we can. In those spaces we can. And no matter how it turns out, by his power and his grace we can. And the difference, my friends, between even if and what if is not a big step. It's, it's infinitesimal. The choice to go from whatever and what if to even if is a choice. Nothing else has to change. No circumstance, no dynamic. It's just a heart and mind choice because even if is not the same as whatever. Even if is the declaration of saying no matter what. I choose to surrender. I choose to believe. I choose to trust. And I choose to wait for your timing in your way. Many people will end up spinning in worry. They'll end up spinning in fear. They'll, they'll think they'll try to take control of stuff that they have all figured out. And they'll go the long way around when all God wants them to do is in the middle of all that, choose faith in him. And to be still. To say, even if, no matter what, I choose to trust. I choose to wait. It's faith that, that bridges the gap in all of these quadrants. It's faith that allows us to sit in complexity between what is and isn't and to have peace that passes understanding. As we guard our hearts and mind in Jesus, it's faith in him. You can do this in him. You cannot apart from him. So my invitation and challenge for you is that you will choose an even-if posture in whatever you're facing, whatever in-between space you live in, whatever unresolved waiting space you have, that you will say, even if, no matter what. It's not about the outcome. It's about who I'm turning to. It's about who I'm trusting in. And God will move because he always keeps his promises. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that in a world with uncertainty, a world with things we don't see, that there is no uncertainty in you. There is no instability in you. You are always faithful. You are always true. And you pursue us. Thank you for pursuing. God, forgive us in the spaces that we've taken control or we've tried to do it on our own or we haven't waited well. 
I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us to know the now and the next for each of us, where you're calling us to step by faith, where you're calling us to wait, where you're calling us to persist, both now and next. And may you give us, by your power at work in us, the strength and wisdom to navigate those spaces well for your glory and for, for your purpose. So Jesus, continue to speak and lead in this space as we lean towards you as a strong God, you as the one who is more than able, you as the one who we choose to follow and obey. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen.